Well, would you please join me in prayer? Dear Lord, thank you for our church. Lord, thank you for everyone that's here. Lord, every single person that's here makes a huge difference. And Lord, there are many parts of the body, but there is one body. And Lord, all of us have a part to play in that body. Some of us are the nose, some of us are the fingers, some of us are the toes, but the hand would never say, I don't need the toes. You know, the eyes would never say, I don't need the ears. Lord, we all need each other. And Lord, we all have one common goal, and that's to serve the head, Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that we would today learn about our Lord, and that Lord, we would be inspired to serve you. And Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, and I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would guide us to apply this to our lives, and not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We love you, Lord. We know you have something to say to us today as your children. So I pray, Lord, that we would listen to you. We love you, Lord. We thank you so much for your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 through chapter 3, verse 10. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28 through... Chapter 3, verse 10. Okay, it says, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, 
nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Well, okay, this is the third week of our series called Blessed Reassurance. And in this series, we're looking at the book of 1 John, because as we've been saying, 1 John is writing to a group of believers that are in desperate need of blessed reassurance. Why? Because false teachers have come into the church and they've really attacked the foundational teachings of the apostles, the foundations of our faith. And so John is writing to them to say, hey, let's just stop and let's just look at what we know. And when we look at what we know, then we'll have reassurance about what we've been taught so that we can have confidence in the reality and the reliability of our faith. And so this week, we're looking at the fact that we know that we are children of God. We know that we are children of God. How? How does someone become a child of God? Well, by receiving Jesus. If you have received Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you are a child of God. If you haven't done that, well, then the good news is you can do that and you can become a child of God. Look what John says in his own gospel account in John chapter 1, verse 11 through 13. He says, He, Jesus, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. So look, that's amazing news that we get to hear today. You, if you believe in Jesus, are a child of God. But look, when I tell you that you are a child of God, I know that this might be true of you because I know that it can be true of me sometimes. When I tell you that you are a child of God, that might not do anything to your heart. Like sometimes when I hear someone say, you're a child of God, I think, okay. But when I say you're a child of God, you might just say, that's great, but that doesn't move you in your heart. Now, if I, if I said, hey, you have just been given a million dollars. Now that might move you in your heart a lot. You might say, whoa, a million dollars? Your heart might start rushing and beating fast. Look, why is it that when I say you are a child of God, that doesn't do anything in your heart? But when I say you're a millionaire, that does something in your heart? Are you just a bad Christian? No, I don't think so. I think the problem is when I say you're a millionaire, that moves your heart because you know what it means to be a millionaire. But when I say you're a child of God, that might not move your heart because you might not know what it means to be a child of God. So look, in our passage, John shows us that we are children of God, but he doesn't just show us that we are children of God. He shows us what it means to be a child of God. So I believe that when we look at our passage and we see what it means to be a child of God, we understand what that means, what we have, we wouldn't trade it for all the money in the world. So look, in order to experience blessed reassurance along with the fellow Christians that John is writing to, we need to look at what it means that we are children of God. 
So if you're taking notes, these are our three sermon points today. John tells us three things about what we are as children of God. He says that as children of God, we are guided, we are molded, and we are loved. Guided, molded, loved. So the first one, as children of God, we are guided. So look at our first two verses, chapter 2, verse 28 through 29. He says, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So look, he says, As children of God, we are guided by God. How? You're probably thinking, I didn't see that word guided in there. How can you say that we're guided by God? Look, he says essentially that we're guided by God by being rooted in him. Well, now you're saying, well, I didn't see the word rooted either, Cody. Can you explain that, please? Well, look, he says, and now, dear children, continue in him. Continue in him. That Greek word that we have translated as continue in, it's the Greek word Meno, meno. That word means to abide in. Look, it's the same word that Jesus used in John chapter 15, verse 5, when he said to the disciples, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in, meno, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So look, what Jesus said, abide in me, is what John is telling us to do. Abide in him. Continue in him. Be rooted in him. A branch that's rooted in a vine, there's a branch in there, a vine, but they're so connected, you can't see where one starts and the other ends. Jesus said, you must be rooted in me. And John says, don't break off from him. Continue in him. Be rooted in him. Why? Because he wants to guide you into righteousness. He wants to guide you into a new way of life. There's a direction that he is taking you into. But Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And look, John says it here. He says, that there's a certain righteousness. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. In other words, the only way to grow in that direction is to be in him. Look, we can only go where God is taking us if we are rooted in him and continuing in him. Last week I mentioned that I like to get up in the morning and go for a walk. A few weeks ago on my morning walk, I saw a dad walking with his son. At least, I assume it was his son, because as they were walking together, the dad had his hand out, and the son had his hand out, and they were holding hands as they were walking. So I assume that there was a dad and his son. And they were walking kind of in front of me, so I couldn't kind of help but see them in my peripheral vision. And I can assume they made it home safe, because they turned the corner, they walked into their house together, and then I didn't see them anymore because they went home. But look, I'm bringing that up because what was that son doing? 
He was abiding in his dad. How did that son know how to get home? When I was a kid, I didn't know how to get home unless I was with my parents. Look, when I was looking at them, they're two separate people, but because they were hand in hand, I couldn't see where one started and the other ended because they were two, but they became one because they were joined hand in hand. His dad could guide him because his dad was holding him. Do you see that? But look, in chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He only says that after he says to be rooted in him, continue in him. Why does he say that? Because, look, it's hard. You know this as a parent. If you're with your child, how likely is it that a stranger is going to lead them astray? Not likely. If your child's alone, maybe walking home from school, it's a lot easier for someone to lead them astray, to get them away from you or to kidnap them, right? But when they're with you, that makes it very hard for someone to lead them astray. So look, it's hard for anyone to lead us astray if we are with our dad. And because he's our dad and we're his children, we can know that we can be guided by him. God wants to do the same thing for us that that dad that I saw was doing for his son. God wants to take us up in his arms. But the question is, will we let him? Will we let him? Because God expresses out throughout the entire Bible that this is what he wants for, to do for his people. And yet, constantly throughout the Bible, we see that God's people are being led astray. Why? Well, because they're turning away from him. They're refusing to let him take them up in his arms. They're refusing to let him hold their hands, to guide them where he wants to take them. Hosea chapter 11, verse 1 through 4, look at what God says about his people. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, which are foreign gods, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim, another word for Israel, to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Look, God wants to take hold of our hand and guide us. But look, it's only through taking hold of the nail-pierced hands of Jesus that we can let him. What did Jesus say? Abide in me, and I will abide in you. Who does Jesus abide in? The Father. When we abide in Jesus, we're in the Father. In other words, Jesus is the only way for us to take hold of God, to take hold of that hand, to be carried by God, to be in his arms. Through Jesus, through holding on to him, we become that child holding on to their dad's hand, and through him we can be guided to wherever God wants to take us. To abide in Jesus as he told us to, and as John is telling us to, to abide in Jesus means to totally depend on Jesus. 
as children of God, as children of God, we are admitting that we need Him every second of every minute of every hour. That's a song that we're going to sing for our invitational hymn. I need Thee every hour. That's what we're admitting as children of God. As children of God, we need Him every hour. And get this, as children of God, we have Him every hour. So look, children of God are guided. But John says that children of God are molded, shaped. Look at chapter 3, verse 2 through 3. He says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So look, this is kind of a weird thing for him to say. But let me explain it to you and you'll understand better, I think, what he's trying to say. Look, John is admitting, hey, I, I don't know exactly what we're going to look like someday. I know that when Christ appears, we will look like him. Right now, I don't know exactly what that will look like. But Jesus, when you look at him, you know it'll be like him. Look, let me give you an example. When I was a little kid, you know, y'all have all seen my dad before. Now, you know, I'm an adult and I'm taller than my dad. But at one point, I was pretty small and my dad would pick me up. And I have memories of standing on the porch, my dad holding me in his arms and me looking down and going, whoa, that is a long way down to the ground. You're this tall? Well, wow, I can't wait to be this tall. Why would I say I can't wait to be this tall? Because I knew that when I grow up, one day I won't be my dad, but I will be like my dad. John says, we are children. Now we are children. We don't know exactly what we will look like, but we know that when Christ appears and he perfects us, we will be like him. That's the image that he's molding us into, shaping us into. Now look at verse 4 through 6. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. So look, the process of growing to look more like Jesus is something that will be finished when Christ appears the second time. Why? Why isn't it something that will start when he appears the second time? Because it started the first time that he appeared and we saw him. He says, it's not something that we wait to start later when he appears. No, this is something that we finish when he gets here. It's something that we've started when we become children of God, which is what happens when we believe in him and see him by faith for the first time. So look, John says that no one who has seen him, so he says, we will see him, yay, but we have seen him. Oh, 
So our whole life of faith is having seen him, seeing him now, and knowing we will see him in the future. But no one who has seen him continues to sin. Well, does that mean that if I'm a Christian, I never, ever, ever sin? No. It can't mean that. Because he's already said in 1 John, anyone who does sin has an advocate with Jesus. So he knows that Christians do sin. He's not saying that Christians never sin. He's saying that Christians grow. Do you see that? Christians are constantly repenting, turning back to him. Look, Christians, he's saying, are molded. They're shaped. They're conformed to the image of Jesus. That's what we're growing into. We are God's children. But look, now the question is, how are children shaped by their parents? How? By watching them. That is why he keeps saying, see, see, S-E-E, see, 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 look, look, who, look to who? Jesus. Because that's how we're shaped to be like Jesus. Now, uh, I don't listen to it as much anymore, but I used to listen to a lot of country music, believe it or not. Eventually, I felt like I reached my quota of songs about pickup trucks, so I don't listen to it as much anymore. But I remember uh, at the time when I did listen to it, there was a very popular song by Rodney Atkins called Watching You. And thankfully for your ears, I'm not going to sing it. I'm just going to read you what he said. So in the song, uh, he says, Driving through town, just my boy and me, with a happy meal in his booster seat, knowing that he couldn't have the toy till his nuggets were gone. Y'all know that song? Is that ringing a bell? A green traffic light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and mumbled under my breath. His fries went a-flying, and his orange drink covered his lap. Well, then my four-year-old said a four-letter word that started with an S, and I was concerned. So I said, son, now where'd you learn to talk like that? He said, I've been watching you, dad. Children, you don't just tell them what to do, right? They watch you and they imitate you. That's how they're shaped by you. That's how they're molded by you. Why do children resemble their parents when they grow up? And look, you as a child of a parent are shaped you might say, I'm nothing like my parent. Yeah, yeah, you are. You're a lot more like your parent than you realize. And your child is a lot more like you than they want to admit or than they want to realize because everybody wants to be their own individual. But we're very much a product of watching our parents. P children resemble their parents when they grow up because they've been watching them. So what's the best way to keep a child from being molded by their parents? What's the very best way to keep a child from being molded by their parents? By keeping them from seeing their parents. So let's just, I'm just gonna throw out a hypothetical situation. Let's just imagine you had a child and gave them up for adoption when they were born. Let's say some parents from California wanted them and so your child went off to live in California. You know, so they would grow up in a very different place from they from where they would have grown up if they had grown up with you here. Different way of talking, different way of thinking, different way of living. If 20 years later, when they were 20 years old, if they wanted to see you and meet you, yeah, they would look like you physically. Would they talk like you? No. Would they act like you? 
No. Would they think like you? No. Would they have the same mannerisms as you? No. Why? Because they couldn't see you. And because they couldn't see you, you couldn't shape them. You couldn't mold them. And if we are not looking to God, if we are not looking to God, we can say he made us, but we cannot say that he's molding us. Now look, when we look to God, every second that we look to God, we are molded by God. We are shaped by God. How do we look to God? I said we abide in God by abiding in Jesus. Now I'm going to say we look to God by looking at Jesus. Paul said the same thing. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In other words, we're all looking in the same direction. And Paul said elsewhere, we're all being transformed with unveiled faces, contemplating the Lord's glory. We're being transformed from one to glory, one degree of glory to the next. So look, that's great. You say, Cody, that's great. One day I'll see him physically and I'll be just like him. But right now I can't see him physically. So how am I supposed to look at him? Well, how am I looking at you right now? I'm spending time with you. How are you looking at me right now? You're spending time with me. How do I look at Jesus right now? Through faith, in my mind, and in my heart, I spend time with him. And that is how I look at him. Look, this week, um, I had a conversation with a friend of mine named Riley, and he told me that six months ago, he really made a deep commitment to look to Jesus. And so he showed me his Bible. He was showing me all the highlighted passages, all of his notes. And he said, yeah, I read a chapter a day. I've been listening to worship music on my way to work. I've been praying. And he said, I've been growing closer to God more than I have in these six months than I have my entire life. I'm learning more in these six months than I have in my entire life. He has more joy and peace and hope in these six months than he's had his entire life. Ooh, what's his secret? There's no secret. All he's doing is spending time with the Lord. There is no substitute for spending time with the Lord. That is how we look to him. And by looking to him, looking at him, that is how we are conformed to his image. That's how we become more and more like him. Look at what he says in verse 3. He says, All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Look, because we are children of God, we can look to him, and in looking to him, we can become more like him. So look, children, as children of God, we are guided, we are molded, and we are loved. That's the last one. We are loved. Look, as children of God, we can abide in God and we can look to God. We don't pick and choose between the two. We do both. Because children don't pick and choose between those two. They do both. I, you know, last week, I told you that I became an uncle and I showed most of you the picture of my nephew, Weston. 
I'm going to show you this picture again. Most of you saw it. But this is Weston. He's my nephew. This is him with his mom, Jenny. Now look, what is he doing? He is abiding in his mom. He's letting her hold him. He is looking to his mom. Now look, we as children of God, we don't say, oh, I'm going to pick between abiding or looking. That is incredibly dangerous. Because what did Jesus say? I'm the vine, you are the branches. So look, Jesus, if we just look to him, if we just say, Jesus is my example, what would Jesus do? That's a great question to ask. But if we stop there, if Jesus is only an example to you, Jesus as an example and only an example will crush you. I'm going to do what Jesus did. No, you're not. Why? Because if you're not rooted in him, you cannot produce the fruit of him. Do you see that? He, Jesus gives us the blueprint of what God wants us to look like. Yes, he is an example in that way. And that's why Paul can say, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. But we also let him hold us. We abide in him because he gives us the strength to do what he's called us to do. You know, that's great that Weston is looking to his mom, but it's also great that he's being held by her. She can carry him wherever he needs to go. He's letting her feed him. He is allowing her to be his strength. And as children of God, we have to do both. We have to abide in and we have to look at. That's what we do as children. But here is the big, big, big problem. There's a huge problem. Look at verse 8. He says, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Okay. He talks about who? The devil. And look. There's a lot of different words that we see in the Bible for the devil. Satan, the ruler of this world. But he uses the word devil. In Greek, this word is diabolos. Why does he choose this word? Because he's trying to help us understand what the work of the devil is. Diabolos, what does that word mean? It means to slander. It means to make false accusations. In other words, what is he saying about the devil by calling him the diabolos, the devil? He's saying that his work is to lie. His work is to make false accusations. And so look, the devil wants to keep us from abiding in God and from looking to God. So how does he do that? What is the work of the devil? To lie. In other words, why is he writing this? Why is John writing this? To keep them from believing the lie of the devil that they don't belong to God. And that is a lie of the devil to you. You don't belong to God. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't love you. Now look, how does John say that we can know that we belong to God if we're believers? How? Look at verse 1. See what great love 
the Father has lavished on us that we should be children of God. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. And how does he do that? He shows us what love has been lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And look, what is the role of a parent? If we're the children and he's our parent, what is the role of a parent? The role of a parent is to pour themselves out for their child. Now, if you've been a parent, you know that when you become a parent, life becomes about self-sacrifice. You sacrifice your time, you sacrifice your money, you sacrifice a lot of your dreams, you sacrifice a lot of your plans, you sacrifice so many things. You are constantly pouring yourself out for your child. That's the role of a parent. What is the role of a child? To receive that love, to accept that love. Now look what John himself said in the Gospel of John. John chapter 13, verse 1. He says about Jesus the night before he went to the cross. He says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. In other words, what did Jesus do that a good parent does? He poured himself absolutely to a measure that we will never ever properly understand. It's beyond comprehension for us. But the greatest proof we have of his love for us is that he loved us to the end. How? By going to the cross. And Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, when talking about that same verse, he asked this question. He asked, what happened on the cross for those of us who claim to be its beneficiaries? So, so what was going on on the cross? He says, it is beyond calculating comprehension, of course. A three-year-old cannot comprehend the pain a spouse feels when cheated on. How much less could we comprehend what it meant for God to funnel the cumulative judgment for all the sinfulness of his people down onto one man? But reflecting on what we feel towards, say, the perpetrator of some unthinkable act of abuse toward an innocent victim gives us a taste of what God felt toward Christ as he, the last Adam, stood in for the sins of God's people. The righteous human wrath we feel, the wrath we would be wrong not to feel, is a drop in the ocean of righteous divine wrath the Father unleashed. After all, God punished Jesus not for the sin of just one person, but many what must it mean when Isaiah says of the servant that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all? What was it for Christ to swallow down the cumulative twistedness, self-enthronement, natural God-hatred of us, the elect? What must it have been for the sum total of righteous divine wrath generated not just by one man's sin, but by the iniquity of us all to come crashing down on a single soul? Jesus suffered unimaginably on the cross. And yet, on the very verge of it, he loved us to the end. He didn't give up. He poured all of himself out for us. We can't imagine 
how much Jesus emptied himself out for us because we can't imagine how much he loves us. And to know that he loves us is to know that we belong to him. Look, how did Jesus destroy the work of the devil? He says, the reason the Son of God came to destroy the work of the devil, or the reason the, reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. How did he do that? By destroying the lie of the devil. By showing you how much God loves you. This week, I saw on Facebook a friend of mine from seminary. His name is Sean, and he posted a picture. Him and his wife, a couple weeks ago, they had a child together. And uh, so I'm going to show you this picture because immediately when I saw it, I thought about this passage as I was preparing this sermon. And look, as I saw this picture, I don't know how well you can see this picture, but it showed me that, look, see what love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Look, did, did you know that this, this is who you are to God? Look, the devil says, don't, don't look at them. You are alone. You are unwanted. You are unloved. You are uncared for. God says, no, that's not true. The devil lies. He makes false accusations. If only you knew how much I love you. If only you knew that every single second of the day you are walking around like this and I am like this. Because the devil says, look at your sin. How could you ever think that you're a child of God? And God says, no. Look at the cross. How could you ever not think that you're a child of God? But when you know that he looks like you, when I shouldn't say that. When you know that he looks at you like this, when you know that this is how God looks at you, look, when you know that he looks at you with the heart of a father and you receive that love, then you can have the blessed assurance that you are a child of God. And as you continue to look to him, look, you cannot do this until you know that you are this. Once you know that you are this, you can do this. And as you continue to look to him and abide in him and know how loved you are by him, you will experience the blessed reassurance that you are a child of God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would do what John said to do. See what kind of love has been lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. We are not orphans. Just as Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Lord, we don't ever have to worry about being orphans. You're our God. You're our Father. We're your children. And God, that's just not, not just a cute, nice thing to say. 
that means that we're guided by you. We're shaped by you. We're loved by you. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would latch on to that today. That, God, our hearts would be melted by the fact that you look at us with the heart of a father. So, Lord, I pray that we would look at you with the eyes of a son or the eyes of a daughter because that's who we are to you in Jesus. What a precious promise to us. We're going to hold on to that, God. That's our greatest joy, God. Better than the news that you've won the lottery or that you're a millionaire is the fact that you're a child of God. Thank you, Lord, that that in Jesus is true of us. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.